Welcome to the Bethlehem North Women's Bible Study of Galatians. Today we are in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. As I listened to the Coronavirus Task Force meeting today, April 10th, Vice President Mike Pence reminded the nation, Good Friday is always followed by Easter Sunday. Grace is clearly seen at the cross, where Jesus died in our place for our sin. It is finished. Hallelujah. And God's sovereign power is displayed at the empty tomb. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope you have your Bible open. I'd like to read the passage and then pray as we get started. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the promise that in our weariness, we can trust you for the harvest. Would you help us to see the precious points that our brother Paul has made in this passage? We need you. We need your spirit to come in power and grace. May our lives as believers, under grace and not under law, be evidenced by loving one another and persevering in doing good. Now, Paul has spent five chapters defending his apostleship, unpacking doctrine, and criticizing works as a means of salvation or justification before God. We saw earlier in the letter how hypocrisy had crept into the church, as even Peter was more concerned about how he appeared in others' eyes than with how he stood for the truth of the gospel. Evidently, the church in Galatia was also suffering from damaged relationships caused by the focus on legalism. Now, he is balancing his message by saying, Examine your works. What is the fruit that is coming out of your life? Is it the fruit of the flesh? Or is it fruit of the Spirit? What we believe affects how we behave. So look at your fruit. Test your work. When you see a sister caught in a transgression, is your first response to point a finger and condemn her? Or will your response be one of gentleness, putting your arm around your sister who has stumbled and helping her get back on her feet? 
Don't be deceived into thinking that because you believe the right doctrine or attend the right church, that all is fine. Because God is not deceived. The fruit or the works that come out of your life reveal whether you are walking by the flesh or by the Spirit. The fruit of your life reveals whether you are truly in Christ or not. In Galatians 5, Paul said that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and they bear fruit in keeping with repentance, evidence that true repentance or turning away from sin has taken place and is not just words. Paul has used many contrasts to make his arguments. Law versus promise, law versus grace, slavery versus freedom, the flesh versus the spirit, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Paul contrasts living by the flesh and living in step with the spirit because we live in freedom, not in slavery. He wrote, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, he continues the contrast between self-centered living versus others-centered living. If we are truly walking by the Spirit, we will use our freedom in Christ to serve one another in love. If we are keeping in step with the Spirit, then chapter 6 is what that looks like practically. In the Spirit's power, we will love one another as Jesus loved us. One specific kind of love is to restore and bear burdens. Paul lists a number of dangers or warnings in this passage. He warns against temptation in verse 1, deception in verse 3, pride in verses 3 and 4, boasting in verse 4. He warns about not sowing to the Spirit in verse 8, and he warns against weariness in verse 9. Paul also lists many commands in this passage. Number one, he says to watchfully and gently restore. The context of restoration is family, brothers, those who are in the body of Christ. You see the need for restoration? You see a sister in Christ who is overcome with sin? So he says, you who are leading a life led by the Spirit should restore. You should help her get back on the right path. So how do we do this? Humbly, meekly, because in the process, we get prideful and we could fall ourselves. The risk in restorative counsel is that we can proudly assume that we are above such temptation when we might be the next to fall. Number two, Paul says we should lovingly and humbly bear one another's burdens. Burden bearing is a command to all of us as believers. Burdens are a reality in this fallen world. We need each other. 
even more so in this season of a pandemic. We are not self-sufficient. Burden-bearing is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Note that we are to watch out for our pride that hinders burden-bearing and can cause us to fall. We are not to be like the Pharisees who tied on heavy burdens. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now in verse 5, Paul says we are to bear our own load. Is this a contradiction? Well, there are two different Greek words that are used here. One means heavy burdens, and some means a lighter load. Tim Keller put it this way, Load is not the same as burdens. The Greek word translated burdens means a heavy weight, but the different Greek word translated load refers to a kind of backpack. Verse 5 means that God has given each of us a different set of difficulties and opportunities, a different set of weaknesses and gifts. John Stott said, So we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear, but there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself, and that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. Our third command is to test your own work. Again, Paul is not opposed to works per se. He is opposed to relying on our works for salvation. Previously, he said that if we do that, we nullify the grace of God and we make the cross unnecessary. Back in chapter 2, verse 21, he used the term no purpose. Jesus would have died for no purpose. We should look closely and honestly at our own lives and our works, instead of comparing ourselves with how others are doing. We can always find those who are doing worse to make ourselves look better. Or conversely, we can always find those who look to be super-Christians, and we can be discouraged. We need to prayerfully examine our own life in light of God's Word. Our next command is to share all good things with your teachers, to sow to the Spirit, to do not grow weary, and to do good to everyone. We're going to talk a little bit more about these later. For now, I would like to look at verse 8. We reap what we sow. Underlying thoughts, attitudes, desires, and beliefs that we have result in fruit or consequences, and often they erupt in behavior. Sowing to the flesh means ultimate corruption or destruction, eternal misery in hell. But sowing to the Spirit results in fruit of the Spirit and eternal life from the Spirit. And this is purchased by Jesus. Today is Good Friday, and I'm reminded of all that Galatians tells us that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. It is because of Jesus that we have deliverance. Back in Paul's grace-filled greeting, he wrote that he received the gospel through the risen Lord Jesus, 
who gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us from the present evil age. And he was astonished that they were deserting Jesus and turning to a distortion of the gospel. It is also because of Jesus that we have freedom. In chapter 2, we are introduced to the freedom that we have in Christ, as he is our rescuer from slavery to sin, and that through faith in Christ, we are justified. It's because of Jesus we have justification. This is legal language, if, if you remember that. Both sides present their case in court, and then the judge makes a declaration, innocent or guilty, righteous or condemned. We are either guilty as charged or we're declared to be in right standing with the law. We are justified. And it is only because of the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus that God can declare us justified. In Christ, we are justified through faith, making possible for us to receive his righteousness. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul specifically points to the cross. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May it never be. It is also because of Jesus that we have redemption. You remember to redeem means to buy back or to secure the freedom of someone who is in bondage. Because of sin, we were all in spiritual slavery. We deserve God's wrath. But Jesus purchased our freedom, our redemption. How? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus took the curse, and we get the blessing. Jesus became sin for us, and we get his righteousness. This is the precious doctrine of substitutionary atonement. This is forgiveness of our sins, yes, but much more. We receive the Spirit, and we are declared perfect in God's sight, all because of Jesus Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So because of Jesus, we are adopted. Not only are we declared not guilty or legally justified by faith in Jesus, but we are all sons of God through faith. What else? Because of Jesus and what he has done for us at the cross, 
we also have the Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You might remember back in Galatians 3, we traced the term offspring, which is Christ. And we learned that the promise was given to Abraham's offspring, to Christ. That the law had purposes until Christ. Both the promise and the law were fulfilled in Christ. And we have a precious identity in Christ. That because of Jesus, then those who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We've put on a kind of clothing that covers differences that normally divide people. By faith, we are united with Christ and we find a family affinity that is deeper than other identities. And rather than putting people into categories, we see our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we can travel anywhere in the world and find more in common with a fellow believer than our unsaved family member. The gospel tears down dividing walls and barriers. So how do we live out the reality of our unity in Christ? How does this change the way you see and treat your sisters or brothers in Christ? This is what we've seen in chapters 5 and 6, asking ourselves how we work out our theology in loving our brothers and sisters who have this profound unity because we are in Christ and are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The gospel is about what Jesus has done for us, not about what we do for him. Our Christian life is not about our works. All of the Christian life is through faith, by the Spirit, and not by what we do. However, we are commanded to examine our lives to see if there is true fruit of Jesus living in us, the Spirit's power transforming us to be like Jesus. We've seen that the law leads us to Jesus, and Jesus defines what is righteousness and what true love looks like. Jesus is our plumb line. Is the Spirit working in our lives to produce fruit? How specifically are we to be like Jesus in this passage? Number one, we are to be gently restoring. Because Jesus has restored us and lives in us, we are to gently, humbly, and lovingly restore those who have tripped. Ephesians 2.13 puts it this way, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus has restored us to a right relationship with God, brought us near. And that is impossible without the blood of Christ that we are celebrating today, Good Friday. Paul has given us a beautiful example by writing to the Galatians to confront them in love with the intent to restore them 
to plead with them not to desert Jesus and the true gospel, but to put their faith in Jesus alone and to be justified, redeemed, freed in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When we restore a sister in Christ, we are pointing her back to what Jesus has done for her. We are also to keep watch lest we be tempted. Because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those of us who are being tempted. Never underestimate how prone we are to stumble and fall. Peter had experienced this and he needed Paul's firm yet loving confrontation. Because Jesus bore our burden at the cross and has given us a spirit, we too can care for one another by bearing others' burdens and doing good to all. It's through love that we serve one another. We are to love like Jesus. Love is the fruit of a life transformed by grace. Bearing one another's burdens is evidence of the work of Jesus' grace in our lives. When grace is the crop that is sown, the fruit is love. And when works of the law or performance are sown, the crop is destruction. We are also to do this with humility. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Biblical humility is grounded in the nature of God. Think of the incarnation. Jesus demonstrated humility from his birth until his crucifixion. Jesus was really something, and yet he made himself nothing. We also are to be sharing and giving like Jesus. Because Jesus gave his very life, we are to share with one another, sacrificially giving like Jesus gave. And because Jesus is good, always good, we will seek every opportunity to do good. God has done the greatest of all goods for us, giving his one and only Son for our salvation. And Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And because Jesus never grows weary, we can turn to him for more grace 
when we feel like giving up. Hebrews 12 tells us to consider Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul is pleading with God to take away his thorn in the flesh. And his answer that he gets from God is, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Ladies, God's grace is abundant. And we serve in that very sufficient strength and grace that God supplies. And I'd like to close with some words from one of my favorite hymns called, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Ladies, his grace will never run out. Hear this benediction from Hebrews 13. Verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.